0: audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 1030 a.m. A guy from Kansas, a guy from Michigan, and two guys from Georgia. There are a few phrases that get thrown around, right? And I will have to just tell you that the, the Georgia boys kind of dominated the phrases, they're, they're good, they're good at phrases down there. And long before I ever went up there, I, I, I actually had I shared a phrase with them, but I don't say it because I say it in two words. They say it in one, right And the word is this: "Come on." I mean that's the word. I, I don't know how many times I said this at volleyball games, just just this year. Come on side. Like, like, let's, let's get it, okay? But if you're from, and I, I, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and I spent my first five years of life in Mississippi, all right? Mississippi, okay? And, and I still, like, I, I still don't talk like they talk. And the word, the word is, a, I mean, they don't, they don't even, you don't, the, 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 the C or the K, whatever it is, is kind of there, I guess, all the time. I mean, all the time. They say it in prayer. Come on, Lord. I mean, they say it in prayer. I they they do it. They say it in worship. Yeah, we, I mean it probably wasn't the most pretty sounding thing in the world, but we worship together right in the middle of that, is a renovated schoolhouse where we stayed, and, and we worship together. It's a little weird for me at first, but it got into me, and I started worshiping, and boy. See, you take you take a little bit of Southern Baptist mix just a little bit of the charismatic flavor to it, and you get come on. I mean, it's just come on. Nowhere, I was like, I didn't know that was a part of the song. Okay, well, it is in the South, okay? So, phrase that hit me. Here's a few others that were thrown out there, um, whether it be through occasionally we would have enough signal for a text message to go out, and these are the things you would see. Of course, remember, we're, we're also deer hunting, okay? So, a lot of these kind of move into that. Bruiser. Bruiser, I just saw a bruiser. That's one that got used a number of times. A stud, that, that one, that buck with that buck was a stud, that one. How about this one? Now, I got to tell you a little bit of a background story on this one. Two of the guys, Gary and Clark, are big believers in something called, called um, nose jammer, okay? Nose jammer, it's for deer hunting, and it's this little red bottle of stuff that you're supposed to spray around you while you're deer hunting, and it jams up the nose of the deer, and Clark and Gary said this is scientific this is scientific okay so it's kind of an underlying joke talking about the nose jammer okay you ever you ever use that Colton you use nose jammer yet it will change your life okay so so now now Matt is sitting in a blind a hay bale blind and he sprayed this nose jammer now two seconds the can says 8 to 10 seconds okay so he sprayed that stuff all over it smells like a mixture of my coffee this morning like french vanilla okay and and like sugar cookie okay that i, I, I that's what jams up a deer's nose, I guess. And, and Matt's like, it smells like a Yankee Candle Factory in here. So Yankee Candle Factory, that got thrown around a lot. And then somebody missed out. You know how spell check works? Instead of nose jammer on their phone, it said nose hammer. So that was one that was begun to be used, nose hammer. Giant. I, this next one, I don't know about this one because the Georgia boys, I mean, it was a little chilly up there, but for them, they were in the Arctic Circle, okay? And um, so Hot Pants. I don't, it was a cold day, and and they were talking about, I don't know if they were putting warmers in their back pockets or something. I have no idea, but the rest of us had no idea what they were talking about. Something about hot pants, all right? And then, finally, the last one. Matt, one of the Georgia boys, he said, and I was like, this is only a southern preacher who would come up with this. All these words being used, he's the one guy who saw a giant. I mean, he really did a giant deer, and he missed it. Hit a barbed wire fence is what he says. But anyway, he said, it was majestic. <laughs> majestic. I've never heard that word to describe a white-tailed deer before. You know why these words are being thrown around? It's because of this. When you see something that you have a hard time describing, you will use every word that you can think of to try to portray what you have seen. And I'm you put these pictures together and you're going to have some stories flying, okay? What we're going to look at today has been called by another storyteller, his name was Charles Dickens, the greatest short story ever told. As I told you, it comes from Luke chapter 15 and begins in verse 11. We call it the story of the prodigal son, and it is powerful story. It is a story of grace. As a matter of fact, you could call it the story of grace. So let's take a look at it. Luke 15 verse 11. And Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me." So he divided his wealth between them. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to, said to him, Father, I have sinned. Against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, "Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate." Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's been received back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. Anytime we look at a parable of Jesus, even the most famous parable of Jesus, we will find something we will find that Jesus told these parables for a reason. And there are, certain, there are certain characters within the parable that will most often present certain individuals. When you see a king or when you see a father, you're talking about God. Right? So that's easy enough. Now, there are other, two other characters within this story. Two sons. These two sons... In these two sons, they represent the entirety of mankind. Now understand what I mean by that. You can take all people who have ever lived in this world, who are living now and who will live in this world in the future, and you can put them into one of two groups. The first group is this. Those who rebel and they admit that they are sinners. Those who rebel... And then they admit that they are sinners. Now, don't get me right. I mean, don't get me wrong, because you would think that that's always a good group. Not necessarily. Because there are those who admit that they are sinners, but they don't care that they are sinners. They're just not lying to themselves about it. And they know full well the choices that they have made will end direly for if there is a God. Unfortunately, they do not realize the tragic nature of that rebellion. Now, the others, of course, are those who realize that they have rebelled, they admit it, and they seek the Father for redemption and forgiveness that we know comes through the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. So that's one of the groups. The other. Who pretend that they're not rebellious and they're not sinners. And there are more in this group than you might realize. You might have talked to some before. You might have talked to some this week who think, Oh yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. I think Judgment Day will turn out pretty good for me. I've done more right than I've done wrong. I think. So we all fit into this in some levels. This story of grace. You got this father who has two sons two sons and two sons alone according to this and you have one of the sons the younger that comes to the father and asks him for his share of the estate the greek makes it pretty clear that he didn't ask he demanded it and something we all understand about an estate about an inheritance what has to happen before somebody gets that inheritance normally death somebody's got to die So he comes to dad and he says, before dad's even dead, give me my share of what is mine now. It's almost in some ways I've heard some people say of saying, drop dead. I want what I'm going to get more than I care about my relationship with you. And the father does what is done by his son. Interestingly enough, if you look closely... It's not just one who gets his share. Did you see? He divided his wealth among them. He divided it among both of the sons. So, the one son, I don't know if he's, you know, I'm sure some of what he got was livestock and that sort of thing. I don't know if it took a little time maybe to sell it. I doubt he took these flocks and took them to a distant country. So, he had to get a few things in line and then he headed out. He hit the road. It says he came to this other country, and it's interesting what it says here. Verse 13, he said he gathered this together. He went on a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. I don't think we have to go to be too imaginative with this. We'll get a few details later about the type of life he was living in this distant country. The word for this is kind of interesting. Squandered his estate, literally in the Greek, is he scattered it. He scattered it. It's kind of interesting. Our oldest daughter went to an FFA national convention this past week. Her mom, I don't know if you realize this, her mom is a Bayless, okay? So, um, and, and and Addison took money with her on this trip. They're supposed to take money. And, and Donna says to her, I'm in the background just kind of chuckling to myself, because she says, now you don't have to spend it all. <laughs> you see... Donna is a Bayless, Addison is a Regis. (laughs) There's a difference there, okay? As Donna would very much testify to. So, Addison this trip, and bless her heart, scattered that money all over. And one of the ways she scattered it is she brought a Dale Brisby shirt, signed an autograph. So, I cannot complain about this. You know who Dale Brisby is? Go to YouTube. Not now. And if you start laughing in a part of the sermon that is not funny, I will know you're not doing what you're supposed to. Don't do it now, but type in the 67-year-old rancher, and I imagine you'll have a chuckle or two, especially if you grew up on a farm. This man, this young man, he went and he just took his wealth and he scattered it. All over, and, and doing that has a tendency to attract attention. And he gathered probably quite a, quite a number of, of friends there for a little while. But we all know, probably some of us better than others, that that can't last. And before long it says that he began to be impoverished. And the scripture says he went and he hired himself out to a local. Hired out. You know what the the Greek is literally for? glued himself to the local. Now, I don't think that the local reciprocated the gluing because he didn't care much about him, And he sent him out into the field to feed his pigs. It's fun. Guys, understand something. As we'll talk about more here in just a little bit, Jesus is teaching, he is telling this story as a Jewish man to a Jewish audience. And they would be rebuffed at the thought of this young Jewish man feeding pigs. And this young man was feeding these pigs and he was so hungry that the food he was feeding the pigs began to look good to him. Now these were pods from a carob tree. They're actually still used today to feed swine in that part of the world. They look a little bit like a green bean, but they had no nourishment whatsoever and they didn't taste good. Okay, doesn't that sound wonderful? But he was so hungry he wanted to eat them. And apparently he wasn't allowed. Verse 17 Is a turning point in this story. A powerful turning point. It says this. But when he came to his senses. You understand something brothers and sisters. Coming to your senses in the context of relationship with God. Is the first step of repentance. It's like what. What am I doing? My life does not make so much sense right now. And I'm sure it wasn't that hard for this young man to figure out. What am I doing? He came to his senses. This this has been said of this type of attitude. And it is so true. Heaven builds its hopes on the defeat of a man or a woman's ego. Because I'll tell you what. Coming to your senses is an act of humility. And there's some in this world... Who will never do it? He's saying, I've tried to do this my way and it's not working. He comes to his senses and he's like, Wait a second here. My dad's slaves are doing better than I'm doing right now. They've got so much bread, they can't even eat it all. That's my dad's slaves. And then he starts, the wheels start turning. And he even gets his little, Mark Moore calls it his little speech here put together. I remember this from from Life of Christ class so many years ago. He says to himself, I will get up and go to my father and say to him... Father, verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. You know how this guy is legit right here and he's sincere? You know what you don't see any of in his little speech here? The blame game. He's not blaming anybody but himself. I put myself here, and I deserve to be here. Once again, that's a powerful place to be when it comes to relationship with God. So, he gets up, and he starts walking home. Now, way, away, and I would imagine... I would imagine, as, as, um, as I heard in Life of Christ class so many years ago, I would imagine that it's very true that this young man, probably as he's walking home, he ha- he's got his speech. He's reciting it in his mind. Okay? Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But tell you what, I'll be one of your slaves. Just let me be one of your slaves. And again... Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. Me, I don't to be called your son. Don't call me your son. I don't deserve it. Please let me be one of your slaves. And he says it again and again and again. And I wonder what the apprehension was like as the tension built as he got closer and closer and closer to home. Meanwhile, what's dad doing? Scripture tells us the dad sees the son while he's still a ways off. Is that coincidence? No. Dad has been looking for his boy. Every day, he's looking for his boy. Why? Because he's dad. And he sees his son, and the scripture tells us that he runs to him. Grabs him up and kisses him. The son's like, here's my moment. I've been practicing this for a long time. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no to be called your son. And before he can spit out the rest of his speech, the dad starts calling. He starts barking orders. And guys, there's some significance to this, Okay. Look at verse 22. The father said to his slaves, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Why does Jesus include this? There's a reason why he includes this, okay? The best robe. There is significance in that. It was people who had been honorable who would get that robe. It was a place of honor. And dad said, don't just go get a robe. You go get the best robe and you put it on my son. He said, you get a ring for his finger. This isn't just some nice little ring to put on the, on the finger and look nice. No, a ring signified authority. It's a reestablishment of the place of his son in the home. And then sandals. Sandals for his feet. Why did the boy not have sandals? He probably sold them. And he was a slave in that distant country. You realize that, right? He attached himself to someone. That means he, he became his servant, his slave, whatever you want to call it. And understand something, brothers and sisters. In that time, slaves did not wear sandals. They went about with their bare feet. And by dad saying, you get some sandals for my boy's feet... He's saying, you're my son. You've always been my son. You're my son. And get to verse 23. Let me ask you something. You see that fattened calf part? Does anybody's version have A in front of that? Kill A fattened calf? You know, sometimes... The definite articles are important, Bill. All right. This is the fattened calf. You see, this is the one that had been held back. Now I know we got some. I know we got some some cattlemen, cattlewomen out here. Okay, and you kind of know that it takes some time and some preparation to get that thing just right, just right. And that that poor calf is like life is good. If you're a cow and life is getting a little too good to be true. Buckle your seatbelts. Life is short, okay? You better get right with people. Well, this calf was awaiting a day for a celebration. It wasn't a fattened calf. It was the fattened calf. And, And dad says, the father says, the master of the house says, you kill that thing. It's time to celebrate. And you know what? Wouldn't it be so great if it just stopped right there? And that was the end of Jesus' story. But it's not. You see, Jesus was specifically telling this story to Pharisees. Pharisees who had issues with Jesus spending time with those rotten people, you know. Those tax collectors, those prostitutes, those dirty fishermen. Those blue collar folk that aren't necessarily bad, but they're just not up to our level of elitism. And they look at Jesus, and he's always got these people around him flocking to him lepers, Samaritans, are you kidding me? And Jesus is telling this story of lostness to Pharisees, and guess what? The Pharisee enters the story. The older brother's out working. And the thing about this older brother is he has a heart within him, and the heart is hard. It's a heart of resentment. He's always done the right thing on the outside, but on the inside, it wasn't right. And he hears the sound, his mind's thinking right off the bat that, well, I've been working hard. It's going to be a nice surprise party for all this hard work I've been doing. And he asked one of the slaves, probably full, expecting full well that his friends were there. It was all there. It was all ready for him. Going to be a surprise party. And he says, Well, your brother's come home. And your dad killed the fattened calf. Verse 28 says, The brother, the older brother, became angry and was willing, not willing to go in. That became angry, by the way is not adequate to what the Greek portrays. He was in a fit of rage. He was furious. He was probably a little hurt as well. And he was not willing to go in to the party. And his father came out and began pleading with him to come in. That Greek is also... Very, very important because he asked him and begged him again and again and again, please, please come to the party. And I guess our older brother's been working on a speech too because he gives his dad a speech. Oh, I have served you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me even a, a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this, catch what he says. He doesn't say when my little brother comes home, does he? He says, when this son of yours come, who went and spent your wealth with prostitutes. He comes home and you killed a fattened calf for him. Father says, Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours, but your brother's home. He was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He has been found. I had to celebrate. And guess what? The story ends. That's it. The older son was locked out of the party. He was locked out of the party by himself. His own stubbornness locked him out. You know the key to get into that party? The key was love. All he had to do was love his brother. And rejoice that he was home. And the only key that that older brother had was the key of pride and resentment. And that key won't get you in the party. It'll lock you out. It's interesting. When we read stories of Jesus like this. We have a tendency, and I'm not saying it's wrong, it's probably right many times. To, where, where do we fit in this story? Are we the younger son? We're not the father, okay, <laughs> All Right? And as I told you, the whole of mankind fits one of those two sons. Jesus hate the Pharisees? And I'm not just talking about the, the few. I mean, you had Nicodemus, okay? You, good grief, a little bit later, you had Saul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Powerful preacher of the gospel. But what about the rest of them? Because I know it would be easy to come to this story and say, those Pharisees, Why don't you turn from here over to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read verse 37. While you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about what precedes verse 37. This is this is Jesus's last week before the cross. And we call it of the Pharisees where, where Jesus says these words, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. And he goes on and on talking about different things how they were they were tombs. They were on the outside they were they were these beautiful tombstones, but on the inside they were just filled with the bones of Dead men. And he just goes on and on talking about these these scribes and these Pharisees. These hypocrites. And you just see Jesus getting angry. But I think Jesus is also getting a little sad about this. It's interesting to me. there There was a... I've talked to you about this before. Many many a moons ago, okay, back when things were actually came from the store in VHS tapes. Back when they had blockbusters and Aardvarks and all that stuff. All right, be kind. Rewind. Uh-huh. Remember that kids are like, what? Well, they had they had a Matthew series that it was in three. Three VHS, I mean, it took like six hours to get through it. And the entire thing was nothing taken away or nothing added to the gospel of Matthew. But it was portrayed. And there were some people who had a problem with it because they said Jesus smiled too much. It's like, well, if you really think Jesus never smiles, do you really want to go to heaven? Smiling Jesus. He joked, he kidded, but he got serious too. And when they portrayed Jesus saying these eight woes to the Pharisees, by the time he was done, he was so emotionally and physically drained that Peter and John had to pick him up off the steps of the temple and help him get away. Because he was pouring his heart out to those Pharisees saying, would you just hear me? How do I know that that is accurate? Because I've read verse 37. When Jesus says this to the Pharisees. And to all the others that were around them. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were unwilling. Jesus said, I wanted to hold you. That's what I wanted. But you were unwilling. Yeah, God loves the Pharisees. And like this father he pleads. Says come to the party. Guys, I'll tell you what. When we read about interactions of Jesus and Pharisees, we better read with intensity and with honesty. Because the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They were the churchgoers, the pastors, and the preachers, and the elders, and the deacons, and the teachers. When we read this story, Of the grace of God. We cannot read this story without asking ourselves the question. Is the grace of God alive in me? Because if it is, it will change the way I see the world. It'll take that anger I have for the world. Has anybody just in the last decade or so found yourself, when you watch the news, just getting angry? Do we ever feel broken for people who desperately need the grace of God in their Guys, we aren't just saved by the heart of our Father. We are to adopt the heart of our Father.